0: Last Wednesday morning, Terry and Sheila Walters' twenty-year-old son, Caleb, from our church family, was killed in a traffic accident. And uh, um, happened about six thirty in the morning. And um, I uh, went; to, I was at the ER uh, just shortly after uh, eight. And uh, you know, there's a consultation room near the entrance of the emergency room at the hospital, and I kind of call it the It's the the grief room, the cry room, the prayer room. Uh, It's a room that I've been in too many times over the past uh, 19 years. And so, um, but when I got to that room, Jesus was there. Um, When I got to that room, Terry and Sheila's small group were there already, already there. And uh, Tom and Jan and Mary and uh, Mark and Cindy and Lee and John and Chris. I know I'm leaving somebody out. Um, uh, Christine uh, uh, from our church is on staff there at the ER. I mean, so many familiar faces and so much love and support. And um, so during our song set I'm looking for Terry and Sheila and and going over to to, uh, just to hug them and love them a little bit and then uh, I'll tell you the kind of man of God Terry is Um, after I hug him he just immediately grabs me and just starts praying for me right here and right now And uh, so, asking that God would speak. And so, I hope, I want that to happen. The Bible says that if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. And so, it has been, it's been just, um to use Terry and Sheila's words, overwhelming and humbling to see Christ's presence in this very difficult time uh, through his people. And uh, it reminds me of something Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor. He said, it is not simply be to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Do do we realize, do we really realize what a privilege, I mean, this is, just this moment right here and right now, what a privilege this is. Um, Do we really realize what a privilege it is to be long of Christian brothers and sisters. We take each other for granted. You see, God uses Christians to grow Christians. We can't grow by ourselves. We can't. People don't grow alone. They grow in community. And... Um, this is what we're learning here these few weeks about spiritual growth. We're in a series on spiritual growth called Press On. And we're paying attention to uh, um, just some feedback that we received when we took a survey last November, uh, a little survey called Reveal. It was a web-based survey, and um, about 200 of our church well, everybody was invited to participate, and we got responses from about 200 uh, folks. And because we wanted to find out where we were spiritually, we wanted to find out um, about how we're doing in terms of spiritual growth. And part of that is, of course, defining what is spiritual growth? What is it? And we agreed last week, didn't we, that Jesus offers the quintessential definition of spiritual growth, Mark 12. 29 to 31 Hero Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength the second one is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself love God love people that's spiritual growth spiritual growth is increasing my level of love for God and others. That's what spiritual growth is. And we found out in our church family that we're kind of like an orchard. We are an orchard of trees, and we have trees. We have folks in different seasons of spiritual growth. And we learned that we learned that there are uh, a number of seasons that we experience in spiritual growth in terms of loving God and loving others. We we learned that there's four. We learned that 7% of our adult population, about 50 of us here, are kind of in the exploring Christianity season of life. I'm not, I believe in God. I'm not sure about Christ. Faith is not as much of a significant part of my life as I want it to be, but this is kind of where I am, about 50 or so of us here. Uh, we learned that 43% of us have crossed the line of faith and are um, working on what it means to know Jesus and then about 25 26 27% of us you know, 27% of us feel like we're close to Christ and then depending upon him and then 23% of us about you know about half of us are younger trees and half of us are older trees more mature trees less how do I did I say that I can say that I can say that the wrong way for the next 5 minutes okay I know how to say things the wrong way but you know what I mean we're all trees. We're all trees. And um, so the question is, what do these trees need? What do these groups need? What will help these segments, these seasons of life continue on the path towards spiritual maturity? What will what will help increase our love for God? Because you're never finished. You're never finished. My son Benjamin uh, said last week, you know, it was good that we didn't, you know, it's, his point was, that it's easy to begin comparing ourselves with one another. And that's, that's ridiculous to do because, because we grow at different paces. And so it's not about comparing how I am to you. It's about wherever you are, growing. It's not about comparing with one another. It's about, God, grow me. Grow me. And so today I want to talk about growing in a couple of these seasons the exploring Christ and the growing in Christ season. I want to challenge you. If you're in the exploring Christ or growing in Christ. I know that half of us are. I know that. You told me that. Half of us are in the exploring Christ or growing in Christ. So I want to give you some. I want to challenge you today. And, and then if you think I'm going to challenge you today. Come back next week. I'm really going to challenge you. If you are in the close to Christ or Christ centered season. Because everybody continues to to need to be challenged, everyone. Because you don't stop growing until you die or Jesus comes. So everybody needs to continue to grow. So so the question is, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do to incite a growing love for God and others? And particularly... If you're, if you're in the younger season of growth, the exploring Christ or the growing, what does Jesus do? And notice we're going to talk about what Jesus does because ultimately Jesus is the one who brings growth. It's not like, okay, I'm going to have to kind of grunt my way to growth. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about what is it that Jesus does to grow us? And to answer that question, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, page 778 of your church Bibles. And I want us to look at the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. We know know him as the Apostle Paul, but in his life, as we are introduced by Luke in Acts chapter 9, page 778, we know him and we'll refer to him this morning as Saul of Tarsus. This dramatic, life changing conversion. And the reason why I want to look at his conversion is not because I want us to compare our conversion experience to his. I don't think I'd want his experience. <laughs> it was a pretty violent conversion experience, as we'll see. But I want us to see, what does Jesus do? What, is, what are some lessons here that we can learn about what Jesus does, not just to, to grow Saul's face, but but to increase our level of love for God and others. And so as we looked at these verses in Acts chapter 9, I want, I, I want to pay attention to, I want to pay attention to first the power of Jesus to change lives, the power of Jesus to change lives. We'll see then the truth of Jesus' word to to feed and deepen our lives, and then Lastly, we'll look at the the presence of Jesus' people to sharpen our lives. The power of Jesus, the truth of Jesus' word, and the presence of Jesus' people. That's where we're going today. Acts 9, verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for He asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what Christianity was referred to back then, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, had Saul filled out our reveal survey that we took last November, if he would filled out that survey, he would have put himself in the first segment, the exploring Christ stage, but not because he was considering Christianity. <laughs> no, no, no. He wanted to destroy it. He's, he's on an exploration to destroy. Verse 1, he's breathing murderous threats. Saul was a Pharisee. He was, uh, he was a career-climbing, obsessive, driven uh, a religious leader in the Jerusalem community. He was, he, he, he was a Christian killer, is what he was. And he we find out in Acts chapter eight, verse one, that he had presided over the violent death of a servant preacher named Stephen. Acts seven fifty-eight says witnesses had laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and Saul was there. Saul is like, "Give me your coats. Why are you going to give me your? I'll hold your coats while you stone him to death." A violent death. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. And he didn't stop there. Afterwards, we learn Saul obtained arrest warrants from the high priest in Jerusalem, who and he then marched his way 150 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus to round up these religious deviants. And and just before he entered the city around noon, his life changed. Acts chapter 9 says, a brilliant blinding light from heaven body slammed Saul. Verse 3 says, as he entered Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, you know, sometimes I think we kind of hear that and it's, you know, it it doesn't, we, we typically don't say, you know, to people you know steve steve and then we ask the question it sounds kind of king james version ish and we're kind of tempted to think that this is more poetic or prose and and this somehow pastel effeminate jesus who drinks herbal tea and sits on the mountaintops and sniffs daisies kind of had this really ethereal experience i don't think that i this is friday night wrestling saul what are you doing why? Why? I mean, Jesus body slammed him. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? Who are you, Lord? No, who are you? I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. And in a word, in a sentence, Jesus demolishes Saul's former life. And, and, and if you look, Jesus just takes over the entire chapter here. In the first 16 verses of this chapter, Jesus is the subject. Jesus speaks more than anybody else. In fact, Saul speaks the least. In verse 5, just four words in the English, three in the original. Who are you, Lord? His life is done. His former life is over. And and Luke, I think, intentionally tells us how nearly every phrase here focuses on how Jesus took charge and changed Saul's life. For instance, instead of the high priest commissioning Saul with letters To persecute those concerning the gospel, Jesus, the great high priest, has now commissioned Saul not to persecute the gospel, but to proclaim the gospel. Instead of leading uh, Christians back to Jerusalem to face trial, Saul himself, we shall see, is led to Jerusalem by Barnabas to meet the apostles. Instead of going to the synagogue in Damascus to harass Christians, Saul shows up there to preach Christ. I mean, after Saul approved of killing Stephen because Stephen had hinted that the gospel was for all nations, guess where Jesus decides to send Saul (laughs) to the nations? Jesus just entirely flips Saul's life. And for three days, three days, blinded, no food, no drink, In shock, Saul's life, his career path, his belief system was just, it just kind of, it just like, it just crumbled like that Parmesan cheese in the cardboard box. I mean, it just crumbled. It's all there. And then look what Jesus does. He arranges in verse 10 for a reluctant believer named Ananias to meet up with Saul. I love this exchange. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, right? Standing, saluting. (laughs) Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias. That's you. Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias responds, what? Are you sure? Are you sure? Asking Jesus. Are you sure? Lord, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest. I didn't know if you knew this or not. Jesus responds and he says, go, just do it. Get it done. This man is my chosen instrument. And Jesus, through Ananias, again, Jesus is taking charge. Jesus, through Ananias, restores sight to Saul. He restores. You see, this is in the part of the book of Acts. And and the title is sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles. But you know, really, it's really the continuing acts of Jesus Christ. Luke begins, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he he says, I told you all that Jesus began to do. He's not done yet. Jesus is continuing. And so he just, through Ananias, restores Saul. And verse 17 says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul. That's a significant phrase. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. The Lord. The Lord. And he names him. He names him Jesus. That's who you saw, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. He has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and could see again. He got up and was baptized, and taking some food, he regained his strength. Wow, let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. I think there's a lesson here that we need to learn, especially if you're in the exploring Christ stage. And it's simply this. Absolutely, positively, no one No one is outside the reach of Christ. No one. I mean the last person on earth that the disciples, Ananias, that the apostles could have even imagined converting to Christianity. The last person would have been Saul of Tarsus. But there's no one, no one that Jesus can't change. Jesus has the power to change anyone's life. Anyone. And so I'm thinking about you who are in the exploring Christianity season, around 50 of us here. Some of, you, some of you are ready to cross the line of faith, but you may be wondering, okay, what about my past? Or what about my junk? Or what about the things I've done in my life? Or what about my regrets? What about my baggage? What about my sin? You know, if people, if people here really knew, I mean, they wouldn't let... Can you hear Jesus? Listen. Listen to what he said to Ananias in verses 15 and 16. Go! This man is my chosen instrument. The one you think is your enemy is my chosen instrument. And later on in Saul's life, when he wrote as the apostle Paul, he doesn't try to deny the past or the baggage. He owns it. He admits it. This is it. This is the deal. 1 Timothy 1.16 I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. If, If you think that There are some people, to to say that there are some people that Jesus can't reach, that violates the very principle that brought you to Christ. We're a community of sinners here. We're a community of examples of Christ's unlimited patience here. Jesus has the power to change lives. And, And what we learned in our survey is that really among our exploring Christ season that we have an extraordinarily high level of trust in terms of loving God and loving others by those who aren't even Christians yet. Look, look at these slides up here. If you were to compare yourself to Saul, if, if you were, those of you who are in the exploring Christianity season, are, you're much closer to Jesus than Saul himself ever was. I'm thinking of this slide. It says, Windsor Road Christian Church's participation and satisfaction in church-related activities and uh, just pay attention to the, this first column here, even the second column, these first these earlier seasons of life, small groups serving in church ministry. Like, this is, these are folks that would not call themselves Christians, those who are touched by the, our services. Uh, what about this next slide that talks about uh, um, key beliefs related to the love of God, high levels of high levels of of agreement with Beliefs, core Christian beliefs about the Trinity, salvation, relationship with God, identity in Christ, high levels of response. Next slide. Key beliefs about love to others. I have have tremendous love for people that I know and don't know. By the way, those arrows, if you see two arrows and if you see one arrow, let me explain that. Our church participated with 200 other churches. And so when you see two arrows up or down, that means that our response Comparatively, is 50% higher than the entire group. And if you see one arrow, high or low, that's a 20%, either higher or lower than the entire group. I mean, just high levels of trust and, 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 and four key spiritual behaviors. By those who are, I'm, I'm paying attention to the exploring Christianity column. Those who serve in need on my own, my goodness, that's high. Meet with close spiritual friends, that's high meeting with a spiritual mentor my you know unless i'm misreading these slides those of you who are in the exploring christ stage you're serving you're having spiritual conversations about christ you are you are comparatively showing higher levels of trust in god's word jesus basic bible beliefs you're participating in the weekly service and And experiencing, really, you're just feeling the Lord is touching you in that time. That's wonderful. Some of our staff, we looked at these slides and we said, well, maybe these folks are Christian and they just don't know it. You know? Maybe. Possibly. Possibly. Or perhaps, perhaps you're participating, but you have yet to personalize the decision. Your decision. You need to understand being a Christian is not just about doing church activities, it's about knowing Christ, trusting Christ, belonging to Christ, loving Christ. Depending and leaning on Christ, it's not about being either Democrat or Republican, white, non-white, Tutsi Hutu, English, Irish, Jewish, Palestinian, or American. It's about entering into Christ's kingdom, and it's about Jesus pointing to you and saying, I have chosen you. Listen to what Saul later said when he remembers his conversion experience in Acts twenty-two fourteen. 14. He said how, he remembered how and I said to him, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. You say, well, okay, we know that Saul was chosen, but how do I know that God has chosen me to know his will? Listen to me, look up here. Ananias is just a messenger. He appears, he does his job, and then he leaves. We'll meet him in heaven. Church family, I'm a messenger. I'm just a messenger. I show up, I do my job, I get to go to heaven not because of me but because of the king and the king has authorized me to tell you that in his name and in his power he has chosen you to know his will. You are not here today by accident, you're not. And Christ is summoning you now into his kingdom and you can't earn it, he can only give it. Now, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Do you trust Jesus to forgive your past and give you a new start? Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, I need you more than life itself. You are more qualified to tell me how to live my life than me or anybody else. From here on out, you are in charge. I trust you to do for me what I can't do for myself. I need your grace. You believe that? Well, if you do, what are you waiting for? Huh? In, in the words of Ananias, get up! Be baptized, calling on Jesus' name. You see, baptism, according to 1 Peter 3, 21, is is the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Baptism, there's no magic in the water, okay? There's no magic. Baptism is a demonstration of devotion, Baptism, in a very symbolic way, says I am renouncing citizenship in the kingdom of this world, and instead I am embracing the kingdom of Jesus. It's an act of obedience, where I, whereby I declare my allegiance to Christ. Jesus is first. So much so, so much so, that you've heard of stories, especially from the world of Islam or Judaism or Hinduism. Uh, I, we, we heard a story with a missionary that I was uh, had the privilege of getting to have a conversation with um, missionaries in India who say that when they convert to Christ and and when that decision is supported publicly in baptism their family disowns them they are disinherited they come out of the baptistry and their stuff is sitting out there outside the house they are homeless and disinherited are you willing to do that for Jesus if you're not you can't be a Christian Jesus has got to come first What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Jesus has the power to change your life. So if you're in the exploring Christ season here, here, here's what I would like for you to do. I would like for you to take this card here. Before you leave today, put your name on it. Everybody, I would like to do that, but I want to pay attention to those Put your name and your contact information and I say, I want to talk to someone about a relationship with Christ. I want to talk to someone about baptism. I want to talk to you about that. And we're gonna follow up. We're gonna follow up. This is Because this, we, what are you waiting for? Okay, what are you waiting for? And you don't have to wait till we go through these cards in the office tomorrow morning I'm going to be on the welcome center. I want to talk to you about it. I want to pray with you. What are you waiting for? Jesus has the power to change your life. You're here. You've been part of worship. You're in a small group. You've been serving. But have you personalized this decision? Have you? What are you waiting for? Well, when we keep reading in the book of Acts, after Saul's conversion, it says he immediately started proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. Immediately. Started talking about Jesus being the Son of God. Can you imagine Osama bin Laden joining the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association? Huh? Now you know what I'm talking about. Right? Wow. Whoa. What about Howard Stern? What if Howard Stern started writing theology books? Whoa! Oh. <laughs> would you be a little suspicious? Maybe I would. I want to pick it up. All those who heard verse 21 were astonished and asked, isn't, isn't he, uh, wait a minute. It's gonna, they did a double take. Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners? Wait a minute. Yet." Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving, by proving that Jesus is the Christ. What does that mean? That means he would open up an Old Testament passage of scripture and he made the this is that connection. The this is that connection. And and it's like they uh, they just didn't know what to say. They they were astonished. They were baffled. And, And they're baffled. They're baffled, astonished, shock, then kind of later became rage because it's like Saul had switched sides, right? Verse 23, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. After many, now, let's just stop right there. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. Question, how many days? How many days? Answer, three years. Say, how do you know that? In your Bibles, I think it might be helpful if you, if you made a little asterisk by that phrase after many days. And at the bottom, write down Galatians 1, 15 to 18. Galatians 1, 15 to 18. This is from the book of Galatians. Saul, Paul, the apostle wrote, but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. So, so Saul of Tarsus didn't hook up with the apostles so that he could enroll in the apostolic seminary and get schooled on the gospel. That's not what happened. What happened? I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but look, I went immediately to Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, here we go, after three years... I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. So a lot of time passes in that little comma after many days had gone by. What was happening in Arabia? Well, a Bible teacher named John Stott and other scholars assert that it was during these three years that Saul received further revelation from Jesus about the gospel. Stott suggests that just as Jesus spent three years of his ministry with the apostles, then so too, over three years, he appeared to Saul, specifically revealing to him that the gospel, Christianity, was not just for the Jewish people, but it was for the world. For the world, for the nations. For the nations. Let's just stop right there. Because when I, when I think about that, I, I think, wow, wouldn't it be great to become a Christian... And then spend daily time with Jesus for three solid years being taught by Jesus. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful to hear the, the word of Jesus? I mean, you know, Randy, here's how to study the word. Here's, here's how to pray. Here's what to do with the gifts and abilities and talents I've given you. Here's how to worship. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Imagine Christ himself teaching you. Wouldn't it be great to get away? Just I'm going get to get away. Oh, I'd love to go away. Can I go to Arabia, Lord? Just let me, let me get away. You know what? Here's the deal. You don't have to go to Arabia. You don't. You can, you can do that in Champaign County. Yeah. See, what we've learned about spiritual growth, increasing our level of love for God and others, is that if you want to increase your level of love, you need, you need time with Jesus in prayer, and you need time reading the word of Christ. Church family, hold your Bible up. This is Arabia. This is Arabia. This is Arabia. This is Arabia. Time with Jesus and time in His Word. Talking to Jesus in prayer and reading the Word of Christ, the Bible and what we what we what we learned is that in every season of growth it doesn't matter whether you are exploring Christ or whether you feel like you are Christ centered it doesn't matter what we learned what we learned by experience what you've told us by experience is that if you will pray when you pray and when you read your bible growth happens because this is not an ordinary book this this book is from it's from heaven see it's supernatural, extraordinary. This is God's word. And we know that. You tell us that. I mean, we learn. We learn that that whether the slide about four individual spiritual practices are catalytic. We know that if you will pray, we know that if you will study your Bible and spend time in solitude, you will grow. And you know what? The Bible itself says that. Psalm Chapter 1, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and not his law, he meditates day and night. Talk about trees, being an orchard. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You want to grow? We know that. We know by experience and we know by God's word. Read your Bible. Talk to Jesus. Spend time in Arabia in his word every day. That's the good news. You know what the bad news is? The bad news is it's not happening enough in our church family. It's not. You all told us that. We talk about participation in four key individual spiritual practices. There's a lot of arrows that are down (laughs) And not just in the exploring Christianity, I would understand that, but when we even look at the growing in Christ and close to Christ and Christ-centered, how can, how can someone, I'm going to go to Medellin now, how can someone who claims to be Christ-centered not participate in daily Bible study? How does that happen? How does that happen? Did you know that in our country, 600,000 Americans every year have heart bypass surgery? 600,000 Americans. 600,000 Americans. About 13 years ago, I got to see one of those heart surgeries at the hospital. I mean, not on video. I was there. It was just like the Discovery Channel. Right there. That was incredible. The surgeon at the time said, you know, this was, what, 13 or so years ago? long time ago. And the surgeon said, "Um, this this surgery costs about 30 grand. That's about what it was back then. I don't know what it is now. So multiply 600,000 by whatever it is now, right? Surgeons tell their patients that after the bypass, they're going to have to change their lifestyle. Surgeons say that the bypass is a temporary fix. Surgeons say that the patients have got to change their diet. They've got to quit smoking, drinking. They've got to exercise. They've got to reduce stress. In essence, the surgeon says to the patient, you've got to change or you're going to die. That's the deal. And yet, did you know two years ago in a medical study, in a medical study two years ago, 90% of the heart patients do not change. Within two years, Two years after heart surgery, the patients have not altered their behavior. Instead of making changes for life, they're choosing death. They act as if they would rather die. That's sad. I'll tell you what's worse. Imagine knowing exactly what it will take to grow in your level of love for God and others. Imagine that. I mean, imagine having the resources at your fingertips. Imagine that. You have it within your grasp to grow. It's there. You're thirsty. You're you're emaciated. And you're at the oasis. And someone hands you a cup of water, but you don't drink it. Do you want to grow or not? What are you waiting for? You say, well, where do I start? Good question. Good question. So out in the foyer... Out by the grow center, uh, Jason Weatherhold, our student minister, showed this little booklet to me uh, about a week and a half ago. It's called "Know Your Bible." It is a great tool. Uh, you 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 open this up, and this this little booklet you keep it alongside your Bible. This has a no more than two page summary of every book in the Bible. So Habakkuk, author Habakkuk. Date, approximately 600 BC. Habakkuk in 10 words or less. That's pretty good. Little paragraph about details. Just a great little tool. Did you know that Habakkuk was in the Bible? Did you know that? What do you, you go to heaven and you run into this guy. What's your name? My name is Habakkuk. What do you, I wrote a book in the Bible. Did you not read it? And what are you going to talk about? (laughs) Go get this book. You have something to talk to the guy about, you know? I said, Jason, how much did you pay for this? Well, you know, it's $3.95. I said, oh. I said, okay, well, I told Brian. I said, us I, I gave Brian one more thing to do before he went to the Dominican. <laughs> I said, Brian, can, we need a bunch of these for, you know, so before you get on the plane. And so, so anyway, so um, Brian and Elizabeth Geiger, uh, it, ordered 250 of these. We we got, you know, we got the, we got a deal here, you know. We're shoppers here. 79 cents a copy. Okay. Yeah. Woo. Hey, wow. That's great. Plus shipping. So, you know what? It's a dollar or free. All right. So, please, you know, everybody in first service has already had their chance, right? So, but if we run out, we can get some more. But listen, this is a great little tool, and it'll just help you. you think it, you're thinking through, uh, studying through a book, and you say, well, I, you know, what's a synopsis of this? And, and it's a great little tool. Uh, if you look, um, Mike, let's go up to our church website. Uh, we've put, uh, I've, I've written some devotional questions for each day during this series, the Press On Daily Devotions. Let's click that, uh, Mike, And so that's kind of this is was this was last week's, and you can hopefully if you picked up paper copies of this, but it'll be online. uh, Just you say where do I start? These are starting points. Uh, Go to the next little click. Last fall we did a series over the Lord's Prayer. How you know, Lord, teach me to pray and and so we just did a series over the lords but you all may have come since then and so we've got those uh, daily devotional guides 8 8 weeks worth online so we're we're trying to say here you know here's the oasis we've got a cup of water we've got it filled up and we're handing it to you but you're I can't read your bible for you you've got to pick it up what are you waiting for what are you waiting for you need the power of Jesus to change your life. Jesus' power changes life. Jesus' word will deepen your life. And here's the thing that I want to make sure that I, that I communicate to you about Bible study and prayer. You know, sometimes it's easy to think of these activities as like spiritual chores you know, my chore, My one of my chores at home is is I, we have hardwood floors, and so I, I clean the floors, okay? Now, I'd like to be able to tell you that, that when I do that, it makes me feel close to nature now. I do it because it's a job that needs to get done so that I can do the things that I want to do, all right? See, that's, and that's not one of them. It's just a chore. Let's get her done, get on with life, all right? I don't want you to think about that. It's easy for us to think, okay, I got to get my prayer chore done. And I'm like, no, I don't want you to think about it. We'll say, well, how do we think about it then? How do we think about it then? Well, well, and then I saw the movie There Will Be Blood. And there was. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis plays this brutal, brutal, ruthless oil prospector. Variety magazine said that Daniel Day Lewis played the part with such, listen to this quote, ferocious intensity and demonic relish that it's difficult to imagine him emerging between the takes as just an actor playing the part. All right? And here's the quote According to people on the film, listen to this Daniel Day Lewis remained in character throughout the three month shoot on and off the set. That's scary. Once you've spent 160 minutes in Plainview's company, it's a scary notion. Randy, what does that have to do with devotions? Listen, Daniel Day-Lewis was so familiar with the script. He had internalized it, memorized it, read it, learned it, spoke it, practiced it, rehearsed it, acted it out, that he just became the character. His, His life dissolved and the character's life took over. That's scary. Now imagine, now imagine You being on set and immersing yourself, not in the script of a greedy oil baron, but immersing yourself in the scriptures about the perfect, sinless Son of God. And you're reading this scripture and rehearsing it and memorizing it and internalizing it and acting it out and praying it. Can you see how if you did that, your life would simply dissolve and Christ's life would simply take over? That's not eerie, that's glorious, it is. And that's why we need time with Jesus in prayer and in his word so that we will become lesser and he will become greater. You see that? The power of Jesus to change your life, the word of Jesus to deepen our life and and quickly, Jesus' people being the community we need to sharpen our lives. Jesus' power, Jesus' word, and Jesus' people. Uh, look back at verse 19 in Acts 9. It tells us about Ananias. We, we read about the disciples in verse 19. Paul returns from Arabia, but when, they tried, when he tried to hook up with the disciples, they just didn't trust him, did they? Would you? They thought he was a mole. But then in Acts 9, 27, look, it says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. But Barnabas took him. Do you have a Barnabas in your life? Do you? Someone who will bring you along, sponsor you, come alongside of you, walk with you, help you, give you a sense of belonging? Are you a Barnabas? You know, half of, get this, half of us need a Barnabas. And you know what? Half of us are Barnabas. And if you are a Barnabas, don't wait to be invited. Don't wait to be invited. Take the initiative. That's why we are growing in our relationship with Restoration Urban Ministries and the church that's there. And because we, we, we can be a Barnabas to that local church, to love them and to come alongside. That's why I hope you can come to the dinner on the 29th there. You know, I've heard people say, well, I can worship God at home. I don't need to go to church. Well, you know what? I can worship God at home too, but worship, you know, Christianity is not just about connecting with God, loving God. It's about loving God and loving people. It's about community, connecting with God and others. And, you know, that's what we find out. That's what we find out when we we think about church-related activities that are catalytic to spiritual growth. And all of these here in these two slides deal with relationships, weekend services, small groups, serving in church ministry, spiritual mentors on the next slide. It's so important, so important that we be in community. I know some of you have been out west and you've seen the California Redwoods. I've never been. I've just heard about it. Some of the tallest trees on earth. 350 feet high. A tree, 350 feet high. What kind of a root system would sustain that? You know what? It's interesting. The root system of the redwood tree is surprisingly shallow. They, there's no tap root. The roots r- reach no deeper than 6 to 12 feet. Did you know that? The roots are no thicker than, than 1 inch in diameter. How do they stand up? They stand up because they stand together. Listen to this. One way in which the trees are able to remain upright for millennia, for thousands of years, is by growing close together with other redwood trees, intermingling root systems. Wow. Now I know how Terry and Sheila Walters are standing. They are standing tall. Because they're not alone. They're not alone. The visitation is this afternoon from 5 to 8 p.m. here at the church. Uh, and the services, memorial services are tomorrow at 10 30. Do you want to grow? Do you? Do you want to grow? Do you want to increase your level of love for God and others? Do you? If you do, if you do, you need Jesus' power. You need Jesus' word, and you need Jesus' people. That's what you need. That's what you need. Growth comes from having a root system of loving connections with Jesus' people. Growth comes from internalizing Christ's word to the degree that it's not I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It comes by the power of God. The power of Christ himself, who though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, Jesus poured out his grace on me. Jesus power, Jesus word, Jesus people. That's what what causes, that's what brings growth. Do you want to grow? Lord, thank you so much for giving and giving and giving. Thank you so much that you cause growth. We are so dependent upon you. Thank you so much that your grace was poured out upon us because your grace flowed from your very own self as you suffered and died on the cross. Thank you. And now we remember you, we remember you in this time. And we thank you for your, for your life, for your death, for your resurrection, and for all you are continuing to do because you're not finished with us. Thank you that you give us tangible reminders, tangible symbols of your grace and your power for baptism and now for communion. Thank you for these physical, tangible objects that remind us of deep, spiritual, biblical truth. Thank you. And we worship you. We love you. You are first. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of communion now. And it's time for us to do business with God. I want, you to, I want you to do business with God, especially if you're in the exploring Christ stage. If you're a believer, don't feel like you need to be a member here at Windsor Road to share in these emblems. As you take uh, the tray, you just take the bread and the cup as it's passed. And, uh, and let's do some business with, Scott, with God this morning, all right?